Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. We're going to jump in to a meditation. Um, we're starting on the third foundation of mindfulness tonight, mindfulness of the mind itself. So I um, thought I'd share a couple of pieces from the text as a lead-in um, to this perspective of breaking the addiction to our minds. And so on page uh, 95 in the book, or 90, yeah, 95 in the book, it says, though we speak of ourselves as addicts, drug addicts, sex addicts, alcoholics, food addicts, what we are really addicted to isn't the substance or the behaviors, drugs or sex or food or alcohol, but our own minds. We are addicted to that part of the mind that craves, that says we must satisfy this desire or that. Even in 12-step recovery programs that view addiction as a disease, it is said that the drugs and alcohol are only a symptom of an internal imbalance. That's why we say that our relationship to craving is the problem, not the substances or behaviors themselves. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and the bottom of 96. Uh, the important question is then, how do we break this addiction? How do we loosen our identification with craving and the satisfying of our desires? How do we break our addiction to our minds? How do we get free? The untrained mind, the natural state of human consciousness, has very little free will. We talk about free will, about freedom of choice, but without training the mind, we don't truly have the ability to choose. We're actually slaves or addicted to the dictates of the past, of our conditioning, of our karma, past actions. We don't have free will unless we bring mindful awareness to the moment-to-moment -moment process of craving arising. A short version of this principle is that we have the ability to break our habitual addictive reactions through close attention to the mind and body. The foundational practice is paying attention to our mind, our body, our present time experience. It's hard to pay attention because we have to face some ugly truths and tolerate some discomfort. One ugly truth that may be one ugly truth may be that our fear or lust or anger is all we see in the beginning. Since the mind does not easily pay attention to the present, effort is necessary. The mind, which is all over the place from one moment to the next, has to be trained. The Buddha said the mind was like a monkey swinging in a tree from one branch to the next. Yes, that is what the mind does. It swings from one thought to the next from the future to the past, from planning to remembering, from self-hatred to grandiosity. 
to get some stability, we need the intentional effort of repeatedly bringing the attention back and paying attention to the present time experience of breath and body over and over. And then I'll jump to the end of that chapter on page 102. Last two paragraphs. Freeing yourself from the addiction to your mind is like going off into the wilderness to a place you've never been before. It makes perfect sense that we want to stay attached to our suffering because it is so familiar. But what we most fear is not darkness. We know the darkness all too well. What we're most afraid of is the light, the light of freedom that shines from the unknown, undiscovered truths of compassion kindness, appreciation, forgiveness, and the wisdom to respond with care and understanding to all beings. But like any arduous journey that feels like it will never end, the path of recovery has both rewards and a destination. Along the way, as we face our fears and confusion, we begin to realize that the process is perfectly safe and well worth the effort to persevere. The closer we get, the less scary it becomes. And when we make it through the dense forest, we can enjoy the views from a higher elevation on the path. So just um, the context of reminding us all that the importance of training the mind and observing the mind and that it is our minds that crave. It's the mind that says, drink, use, eat, fuck, steal, uh, whatever addictive process we've become uh, addicted to. So this is one of the brilliances of uh, the Buddha's teachings of not just learning to ignore the mind by being with the breath, but learning to observe the mind and watch thoughts as a process arising and passing. Oh, the mind is just judging again. Oh, the mind is just craving again. Oh, the mind is just lusting again. <laughs> the mind is just judging me for judging myself again. You know, all of those layers of thoughts that is our human experience. So we'll jump into this meditation practice on page 242 in the book, um, the fourth meditation in the guided meditations that we do in the meetings, mindfulness number four, mindfulness of the mind. Find a comfortable way to sit. Adjust your posture so that your spine is erect without being rigid or stiff. Allow the rest of your body to be relaxed around the upright spine. Rest your hands in your lap or on your legs. Allow your eyes to gently close. Bring full attention to the physical sensations of sitting still. Allow your breathing to be natural. Bring attention to your head. Release any tension in the face. Soften the eyes. Relax the jaw.
scanning the body slowly downward, relax the neck and shoulders. Feeling the rise and fall of the chest and abdomen with the breath. Soften the belly with each exhalation. Bring the attention all the way down through the body to the places of contact with the chair or cushion. Allow your body to be supported by the seat you're on. Feel the pressure and density of the relaxed upright body sitting. bringing your full attention to the present time experience. Acknowledge the full range of phenomena that are happening in the moment. Thinking is happening. Hearing is happening. Seeing, even with the eyes closed. Tasting, smelling, and physical and emotional sensations are all present. allowing all the experiences to be as they are, redirect your attention to the sensations of the breath. Let the other sense, the other sense experiences fall to the background as you bring the awareness of breathing to the foreground. Take a few moments to investigate where you feel the breath most easily usually either at the base of the nostrils or in the rising and falling of the abdomen. Find the place where you feel the breath coming and going and use that as the point of focus. It's best to choose one place and stick with it. Don't jump back and forth between nose and belly. It's not necessary to follow the breath in and out. While you are training the mind in present time awareness of the breath, with the mind's almost constant wandering and returning, it is important to bring a quality of kindness and understanding to the practice. Try to be friendly toward your experience. Of course, the attention wanders Try not to take it personally. It's not your fault. That's just what the untrained mind does. It will take some time and perseverance to train the attention to stay with the chosen object of awareness.
from the foundation of present time investigative awareness that is infused with the intention of kindness and understanding, you can turn your attention on the mind itself. After having established awareness of the breath and body and the feeling tone of the present moment, expand the attention to the process of the thinking mind. Observe the arising and passing of thoughts. Allow the awareness to be expansive. Try not to get caught in the content of the thoughts. Let go of the need to solve any problems or make any plans. Just relax into the present time awareness of thoughts coming and going. Break the addiction to the contents of and identification with your mind. Meditate on the mind as a process. Each thought is like a bubble floating through the spaciousness of awareness. One may contain a plan, another a memory, and yet another a judgment or emotion. Allow each thought to pass without getting caught into the bubble or floating off with it.
until the meditation practice has matured, you will get seduced by the thinking mind over and over, floating off into a plan or a memory that feels too important to let pass. All of a sudden, you will have what seems like the most important revelation or inspiration. This is the natural process of training the mind and transforming your relationship to the contents of your mind. As with the breath, simply let go and return to the present over and over, bursting the bubble and redirecting the attention to the process again and again. If there is a foundation of attention that is concentrated and stable, you may be able to experience the completely impersonal phenomena of the proliferation of thoughts. You may see that one thought that arises leads to the next and the next and the next until all of a sudden the mind is off in some fantasy, each bubble, each bubble giving birth to the next.
When you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open. You can also continue to be mindful of movement and taking in the sense door of seeing and how all of the sensations change and even keeping some attention on the mind states. As you open your eyes and the computer appears and people appear and you continue to pay attention to what's arising and passing through your mind. This image of, uh, I'm curious how, how it works for you. Uh, this was a helpful image to me, uh, the image of the bubbles, of the thought bubbles. There's that uh, sort of common thing in like uh, comic strips um, where there's like the person and then there's the sort of what's going on in their head. Um, and so I think that that was just helpful to me and be like, oh yeah, that's sort of like we all, we all have all of these thought bubbles happening and and when you start to turn towards, you see this impermanence, right? We learn about impermanence and we know everything's arising and passing. And so a bubble is a good image of something that's floating off. Um, there's a lot going on in our minds a, a lot of the time. There's um, so many different thoughts coming and going. And part of it is where, where do we give our attention? What thoughts are really... Um, you know, seductive. The other image that um, can work for this, and I don't think I use much in Refuge, but it's one of the ways that I learned about watching the mind. Um, and it was from my father's book uh, that's called The Gradual Awakening. It was one of my first sort of real meditation texts. And he said, in this third foundation of mindfulness, we start to observe the mind as, and we, we've, we've established the awareness of the breath and the body and the feeling tone. And we start to observe the mind. We take that seat like we're sitting next to the railroad tracks. And you turn your attention on the mind as though it's a, um, a train. And it, also it fits the kind of train of thoughts. <laughs> um, and, and a train is a good analogy because a train, although there's a whole bunch and it feels like that's a train, but really a train is broken up into its component parts. It's um, uh, train cars and each car is hooked together and kind of, you know, the engine is dragging along all of these cars and, you know, put together, it's called a, and so if you think of your mind that way of like, okay, there's something fueling this and then this thought is dragging along this thought and then hooks to this thought and then and sometimes you can sit there and imagine watching your mind like train where all of the boxcars are open. So they all, you can see the contents <laughs> of every single boxcar. It's open and you see, you know, they all contain. And this one has this story about myself. And this one has this story about someone else. And this one has a plan, something that I want to do, a fantasy. Uh, and this car has an, uh, an old fight. There's an argument in this box car that I've had a million times in my head, <laughs> that resentment box car. And you just watch it come and you watch it go. 
Uh, and that with mindfulness, with a stability of, of practice, we can get to the place. And if you know, maybe you're there now or you will get to the place where you are sometimes successful in just watching the thoughts arise and pass, just watching the train go by. Now, most of the time when an interesting boxcar, uh, you know, we jump on, we go, we're, we're train hoppers. We, you know, we run up and we jump on like, oh, now that's a plan and I wanna think about that. And that's a memory and I'm gonna, that's a resentment. And this is a wonderful fantasy and I'm gonna get involved with it. Part of what mindfulness teaches us and, and the skill that we develop is that we can actually choose how involved we get. We don't have that much choice about what arises in our minds. You know, a lot of what arises in your mind, uh, not your fault. <laughs> your mind has a mind of its own. The boxcar, it has all of the momentum, all of the programming, you know, both the karma of our life, uh, all of the actions, all of the things that we have uh, experienced and you know, so the mind is going to think. And we, I, I hope it's quite clear that meditation is not about getting rid of thoughts, but it's about changing our relationship to them and developing more and more discernment on which boxcars are worth taking a ride on, which bubbles. Because, you know, in this practice, we're saying, don't get involved at all. And in meditation, you can have that kind of uh, discipline of like, I'm just gonna watch my mind no matter how cool and interesting and inspired those thoughts are. Because some of the thoughts are beautiful thoughts. They're thoughts about kindness and generosity and love and compassion and forgiveness. And you know, hopefully you, know, you will get there if you're not there yet where some of the things that are arising in your mind are not suffering, they're the Dharma. You know, you've embodied the Dharma, the, the mind experiences uh, love and kindness and compassion and, uh, you know, empathy and, and care. So, um, so in meditation, we can sit back and just be like, okay, there goes a really wholesome thought. There goes a really unwholesome thought. There goes a really pleasant boxcar. There goes a really painful memory or, you know, fear or whatever it is. But in our day-to-day -day life, of course, we can't just watch our thoughts. We do have to develop the discernment of which thoughts am I going to believe. And I talked about in the reading, and I think it probably says it in the book. Um, you know, if we're going to think of our, our relationship to our mind as a, an addiction, um, certainly it's not an addiction that we can practice abstinence from. Um, not like a drug and alcohol substance-based addiction where we can establish and maintain abstinence from that substance. I would propose, and happy to have some conversation, but I'd propose we're addicted to our minds and the unhealthy suffering causing tendencies of our minds, but we can't be abstinent. It's more like, I think probably food is the best analogy. Um, when you become addicted to food or certain foods or, or behaviors around eating, uh, you have to create your own bottom line. You can't uh, practice, at, you can't not eat. <laughs> you can't not eat, you can't not think. 
We have to keep thinking, even though we have a thinking problem. <laughs> we, you know, so um, we have to. So our only hope is to say, you know, there's certain thoughts that I do my best to avoid, to practice abstinence from hatred and, and, and indulging in resentments. I come back to the present. I try to replace those negative thoughts with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. I can't stop my mind from doing it, but I can stop consuming it. I can stop indulging in it and, and, and believing it. And that's a huge part of the liberation that happens through our meditation practice and refuge. Um, not only do we, you know, stay sober, stay in our recovery process, but we get this experience of freedom uh, and free will of how are we going to respond to what's happening right now? In our minds, in our lives, uh, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. So uh, I want to open up and have some dialogue to, with you. Uh, about this level, third foundation of mindfulness. Any questions you have, experiences you're having with this, um, please, let's uh, we have an opportunity to dialogue if you're interested. Uh, best to uh, raise your hand in the um, uh, feature where your little blue hand goes on. I think you can do that and under the um, participants or the chat box. Um, or you could type, if you don't feel like speaking, you could type your question into the chat. Jen, go ahead. You can unmute yourself, Jen, and okay, thanks. Um, thank you. Um, I'm I'm just blown away how on point this all is. Um, it's truly wonderful to be here tonight. This is only my second one and I've ordered my book. Um, but you know, this morning there was a meditation from Deepak Chopra and he talked about how I relate this to suffering in a sense. Um, if I could just quickly, how your breath in and out. Um, if, you, if you don't breathe in and out, you will suffocate. So I sort of just related that as, a, as really just words, suffering, and suffocation. Um, so that was quite interesting. And then recently uh, came across something that said, your mind is, um, is not your master, it's your servant. So in this meditation, I kind of humorously thought to myself, as my mind speaking to myself as a customer service rep, how can I help you today? <laughs> so thank you, Noah, I love all of it. Um, and that's all. Very welcome, and I'm glad you're with us. Welcome to Refuge Recovery, and you will, um, you know, not only find good tools here, you'll also find good people here. And of course, connecting with each other is so much a part of our our practice. Taking refuge in community, it's a big part of the healing, part of recovery. So welcome.
Uh, Daniel, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Noah, for the meditation. I was I really enjoyed the meditation this evening. Um, I have a question. I I think I'm looking for not an intellectual understanding. I'm looking for a, for a an awareness that my heart feels comfortable with. And my my question has to do with I understand that my perceptions come from my five senses. That I understand. I understand that the absorption of those perceptions or, or insights, the insights come from those perceptions. My question is this, where, where do the perception, I, I, wanna, I wanna understand my mind. I don't, I'm not quite sure if I can phrase this, in a, in, a, in a way that I can be clear with, but I, I, I wanna understand where my mind is and where that's gathering these perceptions. I, 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 that's confusing for me. I really love the analysis of the train. That was very helpful, but I wanna know what, where the mind is, what the mind is that's this, that is embodied in this train. Um, what if it's just our brains? I don't think it's, I, to me, the brain is an organ. The, the, to me, the mind is something that's, that's involved in the five senses, that's involved in my, my perception of my environment. Uh, it's, a, it's multifaceted. To, to me, the brain is just an organ. Yeah, it gets a bit complicated. Um, I don't think I probably have a, a great answer for you. Um, and I guess part, I want to say two things. One is why is it important to know? Because, um, and the reason I ask you that mm -hmm. is because I, f I feel like, you know, in, in Buddhism, the Buddha often won't answer questions. He will okay. say, you know, the question that you're asking uh, won't mm -hmm. help you not suffer. Okay. So I'm not going to answer it because the only thing that I want to teach, you know, in, in a, is what's causing suffering. So it's okay. the clinging, it's the aversion, it's the, um, mm -hmm. and that sometimes we want to really unpack things that maybe there's no answer to. There are some things that there's no yeah. answer to. And that's how I say, well, maybe it's, the brain, and I agree with you, like what we call the mind is, you know, more than just the brain organ. Um, right, right. Consciousness, you know, is right. in the body itself, not just right. in the brain. Yes, um, exactly. But so do you feel like if you, if I gave you a simple answer that resonated in your heart, it would help you not suffer somehow? Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of trust issues, trust issues mostly with myself, and I want to learn to trust myself. I want to learn to trust my perceptions. I want to learn to trust my mind, and as you know, I have a lot of pain issues, and because I have pain issues, I have a lot of fatigue issues, and because of my fatigue issues, I don't trust 
my perceptions and my insights and my mind as, as much as I'd like to. So maybe that's why I'm asking that. Um, well, as the reading said, uh, the untrained mind is not very trustworthy. So you're, you're wise to uh, have some healthy skepticism uh, over some of the information that your mind gives you. <laughs> okay, we, okay. we should, we should all embody some, you know, healthy skepticism over a lot of our thoughts <laughs> because okay, okay. so often, you know, our perceptions, uh, and we can just look back at our life with any level of humility and be like, God, I was wrong so many times. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. I always thought I was right at the time. And even, you know, now uh, here I am in the present thinking I'm right again. <laughs> but uh, likely, you know, my mind is giving me misinformation again. Yeah, yeah. So there is a healthy skepticism about that. And in order to really trust our minds, like, mm. We, you know, that's like the definition of enlightenment. Okay. The unenlightened mind isn't all that trustworthy. So my, my I don't know, tell me how, if, how this sounds, but my sense is the longer we stay sober, recovery, the longer we meditate, mm. the more and more trustworthy the mind becomes, right? We yeah. slowly make progress where there's more wise thoughts, there's more good mm -hmm. advice from our own minds. But even the Buddha, fully enlightened, talked about, I, my mind still attacks me. Mara still yeah. comes at me. Yeah. Even though I'm completely awake to it, mm. my mind isn't completely trustworthy yet. Yeah. My relationship to those untrustworthy boxcars or bubbles that mm. are filled with Mara judging, comparing, mm doing whatever it's doing, I, I no longer suffer about so much. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't take the, I don't get hooked into it. But I, so, and maybe you've heard me say this, my, my sense is uh, that even full recovery, full awakening, full does not perfect the mind, yeah. but it does perfect uh, on some level or another, our relationship to the mind where we have that discernment of like, oh, that's, that's not a, that's an unwholesome, un, un, you know, not worth believing that thought. Mm -hmm. And then other thoughts where it's like, oh no, that's, that really resonates as, because it's mm -hmm. coming from kindness. It's coming from love. It's coming from wisdom. Mm -hmm. I had a really mindful experience. Uh, I'll, I'll keep this short because I want somebody else to be able to share. I had a very, very mindful experience just recently. I noticed that when I'm extremely fatigued sometimes, I'm in the most presence is when I'm extremely fatigued. And I think that's because I've just surrendered to the fatigue. And that's when I'm the most present. That's why they developed yoga. <laughs> okay. Do a whole bunch of yoga, get, you know, kick your ass and get all fatigued. And then yeah. your mind will just be like, Voof. yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. can meditate, you know, and then meditation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm half joking and, and half completely serious. All of that sort of yoga asana practice was developed yeah. by meditators to get yeah. themselves ready for sitting meditation. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate this evening. Welcome. Nice to see you. Ashley. Hi, everyone. Um, this is only my, I think, fourth time with uh, this group, so I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Um, I couldn't help but think when you were talking about monkey mind and how we're train hoppers about um, evolutionary biology and vestigial traits, like how we don't have tails anymore, if, if you believe the, the theory that we come from chimps. Um, so that monkey mind is like in a constant state of survival and constantly throwing at us like, hey, be careful, hey, be careful, hey, be careful, because its main function is to keep us safe. Um, but now that we don't live in a jungle anymore and there's not a tiger around the corner trying to eat us, you know, we don't need that constant peppering of um, what Daniel referred to as like perception of like, you know, things that we need to worry about. Um, and I was just thinking about that and how, um, you know, that it's not about quieting the mind, you said, but about watching the train cars. Again, I love that analogy. Um, do you get to a point where like the train cars are labeled and you can say, oh, hey, there's that one, there's that one, you know, I'm going to take a ride on that one for a while. Is that what you're alluding to that we were able to, to see them and notice them? Is that what people are talking about when they say notice your mind wandering? First of all, yes, also a fan of evolutionary biology. I don't know if you've read, read Sapiens, but yeah, um, you know, like that's it fits so well with Buddhism where, you know, because Buddhism doesn't have a creation myth like the rest of the kind of spiritual, you know, it's just like, here we are, clearly we've evolved to this and, you know, we're still suffering a lot. Mm. Um, yes, you know, the intimacy to your question, the intimacy with the mind becomes like oh yeah i just i know my mind oh yeah that thought again oh that train car that train car so some of that happens and also what happens is that um you know like you could be by the train tracks and be so focused on the trains that's all you see or you could sit back and soften your view and what is the environment that that train is passing through you know perhaps there's a you know a field, a meadow, a valley, perhaps there's a mountain range in the background of that train that is passing through. So sometimes when you start to, you know, not get so addicted to your thoughts and you can sit back and watch the spaciousness that the mind has, consciousness is vast. And there's a lot more, and like, like the image of the bubbles, um, I don't, whatever room you're in right now, imagine there's a whole bunch of bubbles in the room. But even if there were a whole bunch of bubbles in the room, there'd be way more space. You know, the mind isn't, uh, what are those things that they do at the bars where you like, it's like bubbles all the way up, like the bubble bars or something, and you're, you're like submerged in bubbles. Usually that's not, there's, there's room. There's so much room in the mind. We're just so addicted to the contents of those bubbles that we don't see the full view of spacious, impermanence, impersonal, you know, uh, uh, openness. Though, mm. yes, you get more and more like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. And, and labels are good. Oh, resentment. Oh, 
judgment, oh, fear passing by, craving, 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 <laughs> you know, aversion, 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 self-centeredness, you know, like, yep. it gets kind of boring. When we don't pay attention to our mind, it rules our life. When we do start paying attention to our mind, we get much more choice over, you know, am I going to take this bait or not? Am I going to uh, believe this or not? Mm. Thank you. That really helps clear up my question. I just had one more really quick. Um, sure. with, with, I've been reading a lot about trauma and I know trauma and addiction are very, they go close in hand. Um, when you said your mind is an addiction, like we're addicted to our mind and it's not something you can be abstinent from. I instantly thought of trauma brain, like when you're in that traumatic, like a flashback, let's say, and your frontal lobe goes offline. Um, that just reminded me of like, that's probably what abstinence is to the mind. Like you're just completely unaware of what's happening. Um, and I'm just seeing because of the pandemic, like a lot of people forgetting things um, blanking out, you know, forgetting, uh, miss losing words for things like I just did, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, are on how trauma, you know, works with mindfulness. And, you know, it's, it. I feel my instinct is that it's much harder to be mindful when there's, you know, trauma afoot or, um, things to be so worried about. Um, so I guess my question is, is it, is it possible? I, I hope that's a leading question. <laughs> it's a big topic. It is, um, yeah. The answer is, yes, it's possible. Okay. Um, my sense is, and I liked the way that you were framing it earlier about, um, you know, that reptilian, the amygdala, our, our mind, um, fight or flight, you know, constantly looking out for danger. Um, trauma has an effect of uh, turning things that are, are not dangerous into thinking that they're threats. Um, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, there's no tiger, but I constantly feel like there's a tiger. Um, mindfulness is gonna shift our relate, you know, and so it's not just mindfulness. I, I wanna say the Dharma. Uh, mindfulness is going to give us more and more uh, ability to see that those are thoughts that aren't true mm -hmm. and kind of be, bring awareness to the state of, you know, uh, trauma agitation or, you know, a fight or flight that, that's, that's happening uh, or freeze. Um, and then doing the forgiveness practice and the compassion practice and the loving kindness practice are gonna create balancing neuro pathways and wise responses to that um, kind of you know, frozen or, or, or fear-based uh, experiences that have happened to our mind based on the, the pain, the difficulties, the traumas that we've experienced. Uh, I believe that uh, the Dharma will completely heal us that having been said, I think that Western psychology does have some pretty cool trauma resolution tools. Um, I, in my own subjective experience, came you know, into recovery with quite a bit of trauma and believe that uh, for the most part, it was the meditative practices in Buddhism that helped me resolve. I also have done a lot of psychotherapy and am a therapist and I've studied you know, all of it. 
Um, but I believe that it is the meditative practice that gave me more resolution than anything else. Uh, and that's both the sitting practice and the walking meditation. There's something about bringing awareness into movement and the bilateral attention like EMDR talks about, um, which is one of the trauma resolutions, bilateral attention can help shift some of those traumatic memories into just memories, <laughs> and just painful memories, but not such a, a trigger. Uh, at some point when I was, I was like, oh, I've been doing this in walking meditation for decades, right, left, right, left, bilateral attention, sometimes by saying, I forgive you, please forgive me. I forgive you, please forgive me. I forgive you. And, you know, training the mind and moving those uh, old traumatic memories uh, to where they belong in the neocortex as memories and not in the amygdala as threats. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. Thank you. Richard. Yeah, thanks, Noah. Uh, appreciate the talk, appreciate the metaphors. Um, trouble I have with metaphors, I use them a lot, but the trouble I have with metaphors is they become a little bit too fixed for me, like they're things unto themselves. And the box cart works as far as it goes, but you know, I've, I'm struggling right here with this whole notion of my mind, like my, it's my possession. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that's true. You know, I don't think there is a my mind. I mean, yeah, we have our own thoughts and all that goes on. And this is another metaphor, but what if it, instead of boxcars, what if it was like quantum packets of information zipping all over the universe and the brain or the mind is a, uh, a reception site and we're just picking this stuff up from all around us. It isn't like we're generating it, though we do generate some of that stuff because we have a mammalian body. But what if it's just like the nature of the universe? What if there is a universal mind? What if, what if we're just tapped into something bigger and we don't have to have ownership of it being my mind? Um, you lost me a little bit. Of course, I lost myself. <laughs> and, uh, but the people who wander are not lost. <laughs> not all people who wander are lost. That's right. <laughs> Some of us are pretty fucking lost. <laughs> um, here's what I think. I think it's quite skillful to shift from my mind to the mind with, and it's one of the reasons why Sangha is so cool and having these conversations is so cool because for the most part, like everybody's going, yeah, that's how this thing works too. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons like the Dharma resonates with, with us because we're like, oh, no, this is just like explaining the inner workings of our reality. This is humanist psychology. This is what it's like to be a human being with a brain, with a nervous system, with a, you know, right? Like it's just uh, this big universal truth. And people, li some people listen to the Dharma, they're like, this just common sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the mind rather than my mind. Now, when you start to go into the interdependent, interconnected, you know, uh, hive mind string theory of, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, I, like I, it better than, I like it better than clunky boxcars. It's just a preference. Yes. 
Yes, you and so for, so use it. Like if it fits for you, use it. Um, you've studied Buddhism for a long time. The Buddha in early Buddhism doesn't talk about that. He talks about taking responsibility for your mind and seeing it so clearly that you see how impersonal it is and how it's not really your fault. But he doesn't start talking about you're having other people's thoughts or uh, any of that stuff. He just, you know, it's much more um, you can get free based on your actions in this lifetime through training your mind. And he, you know, he talks about the monkey mind, not the boxcars, but whatever analogy works for you. Hope that's helpful. Yeah, um, Julie, last one. You, you've got time. I saw you lowered your hand, but jump in there. You know, I'm very concise in my answers. <laughs> I'm concise in my questions, so okay. or I'll try to be. Um, so during meditation tonight, I actually had the experience of witnessing the formation of a thought. And that was like something brand new to me. And it did show me that like it is really, it's not me. Um, and so once I saw kind of it forming and I paid attention and then it dissipated and was gone. And so then I started thinking about like when I'm stuck in that, um, those resentments or that anger or whatever it is that hooks me and gets me, like I can't, sometimes I can't like do that where I turn my attention toward it and it's gone because then it explodes up. So I was just wondering if you had like a quick fix how to like get unstuck from those things. And what about just returning to the body? Sometimes, and then sometimes it's just too overwhelming. And I feel like um, that's not even an option sometimes. Yeah, yeah there's all of the, uh, I, I think of three things. And so let me just, I'm sorry we're going a little bit over, but um, so you're talking about like when those thoughts really get you and you're really hooked into it and it explodes? Yes, yeah. Um, the Buddha, the Buddha talks about four efforts, four wise efforts. I think it's in refuge. I'm not sure exactly where it is. Um, he says, you know, when you're really hooked by an unwholesome thought, it has arisen and you're, you're in it. He said, if you can let it go, let it go, <laughs> right? Let it, or, let it be impermanent, not, you know, let it go. If you can't let it go, um, try to uh, replace it, you know, kind of, okay, let me really put the effort in. This is a resentment. Let me start doing forgiveness practice. Let me, let me replace this uh, self-pity or this resentment or whatever my mind is really in with something more wholesome. Let me, you know, throw some thoughts in there. Sometimes the mind will be like, okay, repeat those thoughts. Forgive me. I forgive you or... Um, reflect on the um, impersonal, right? So let it go, replace it, or like non, non-identification. Like, oh, this is not, this isn't, this is just a thought. This is not self. If none of that works and you're really stuck in it, and I hate to give this, and I think I didn't put this in the book and, you know, disclaimer here, but it is the Buddha's teaching. He said, if you're really stuck in a really unwholesome thought, 
and you can't let it go and you can't replace it and you can't see it as impersonal and you're about to say something or do something that's going to cause harm to you or someone else, he said, then suppress it. Push it out of your mind. He uses the analogy, he says, just as a strong person would take a weaker person by the shoulders and throw them to the ground, throw that negative thought out of your mind. <laughs> now, my experience, I think like, like yours, is that sometimes I know what to do, but I'm not having any success at replacing it or not taking it personal or letting it go. And I'm just hooked in it. And then, and I can't throw it out of my mind. I'm just, my mind's just louder and stronger than, than my wisdom in that moment. And um, sometimes you just have to go for the ride. Like I'm in this fucking boxcar. I got on that exploding boxcar, this, you know, bubble, whatever you want to call it, this, you know, and I'm just, I'm just in it. And I just got to write, you know, luckily it's impermanent and it'll play itself out. All right, thank you. Yeah. We'll leave it there tonight. I saw that there was a couple of questions that I didn't get to. I apologize for that. Thank you for joining. Next week, we'll do part two of, of this uh, mind meditation where we move on from just observing the process to start identifying the contents um, of what's happening in the mind, of really the, the question earlier about like labeling and the contents of the the, the bubbles, the boxcars, the thoughts. Uh, the, um, so we'll get into that next week. So I'll see you then. Please consider making a donation to Refuge Recovery World Services. I don't receive any payment for the service that I do for Refuge. I, um, and any donations that come are to support the nonprofit that supports the Refuge Recovery Program. So please consider making a donation to support the nonprofit. We deeply appreciated. And may any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion uh, be offered outward in all directions, sharing the merit. May each one of us heal and recover and uh, make this path of refuge recovery available to all who are interested. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery, and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.